stand together. This morning we begin our new series in the book of Amos. Yana is going to come and read to us from Amos chapter 1. Слова Амоса, одного з вівчарів Фекої, який він чув у відінні про Ізраїль, за днів Озі, царя юдейського, та за днів Іровама, сина Йоасова, царя ізраїльського, за два роки перед землетрусом. І сказав він, Господь загримить Сіону, і подасть голос вій з Єрусалима, і пожухнуть пасовища пастуші, та вигорять верховини кармілу. the words of Amos, one of the shepherds of Tekoa, the vision he saw concerning Israel two years before the earthquake, when Uzziah was king of Judah and Jeroboam son of Jehoash was king of Israel. He said, the Lord roars from Zion and thunders from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds dry up. The top of Carmel withers. This is the word of the Lord from Amos, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So a billboard went up recently that I think was supposed to be encouraging to those who drove by, but as we look at it together, I think you could read it a couple of different ways. I think it was supposed to say, you matter, don't give up, but for those of us who read from left to right, <laughs> like most in our culture, you don't matter, give up. You could read this, obviously, at least two different ways. Believe it or not, this is a good way to start the book of Amos. It's a funny, and yet what happens in Amos really is not funny, description of what it looks like to receive mixed messages. The days of the prophet Amos were the days of mixed messages throughout Israel and Judah. And the reason it's not funny is because the mixed messages were coming to the people of God, God's covenant people, from those who were supposed to be trusted for those who certainly should have known better. We read throughout the book of Amos, who was prophesying at the same time as Isaiah and Hosea, and, and, and those two prophets were saying similar things. The priests are corrupt. The kings are corrupt. Most of the prophets are not declaring the words that God has given them like they're supposed to. And it's in this moment that the prophet Amos received a word from God even though this was a time of prosperity in Israel. So the mixed messages were there. The, the leaders who were supposed to be faithful were not being faithful, but at least for the moment, the nation of Israel, and in particular, the northern kingdom where Amos is going to go prophesy, they are on top. They're experiencing an incredible time of prosperity, of military success, of great wealth. But God says through the prophet Amos, if you don't repent, 
If your leadership doesn't get their act together, if you don't start living faithfully according to the covenants that I've made with you, you might be on top for the moment, but it's all about to come crumbling down. The prophet Amos is prophesying in a moment of prosperity and security, and yet he's saying to the people of Israel, you've been blessed, and you are not using your blessings to honor the Lord. And you are not using your blessings to love your neighbor. On the contrary, you're using all of your blessings to sin and to pursue selfish ends. And if you don't repent, the Lord says, if you don't stop serving idols, stop abandoning justice, stop exploiting the poor, disaster will follow. And that's exactly, unfortunately, what happened in the next moment in history after the days of Amos. So this morning we begin this book, but I want to give you just a little reminder that in your channel each Sunday and on the website, there's a reading plan. We are not going to read every single verse of Amos from the pulpit. One of the reasons for that, parents and grandparents, you'll thank me as you're reading through that we're not going to read every verse out loud with some of the young ears in the room because Amos is rough. And Amos has some descriptions of things that are, are definitely not suitable for all audiences, okay? Even though it's in the Bible. So you're going to get the most out of this study if you'll follow the reading plan. And we've made this reading plan really easy. We're going to be in the book of Amos for nine weeks. Yes, we're going to be in the book of Amos for nine weeks, so get ready. And every single week in the reading plan, it's just the next chapter, okay? So today, you can read chapter one, and you won't be behind. Next week, for next week, read chapter two, and that will help you get the most out of this study as we begin this morning in chapter one. In chapter one, verse one, we meet Amos, called as a prophet through whom God speaks. And when God speaks, his voice, the voice of God, comes with unmistakable and unmatched power and authority. Don't you love the way the book of Amos begins? The Lord roars. Unmistakable power and authority. Unmatched power and authority. This is the way the, the word through Amos begins. And and as we go through chapter 1 and a little bit of chapter 2 this morning, I just have two points for us. They're big overarching heading points that really help us see where the rest of this book is going to go. And, and it all begins here with the strong, powerful, authoritative voice of God. When we meet Amos, we learn from the very beginning just a little bit about his background. But it's really interesting of a couple of events that are happening this week alongside of our beginning this book the first of course is that queen elizabeth ii passed away when you look back on her life there there are very few people living on the earth now who can remember what it looked like before queen elizabeth was sitting on the throne in the united kingdom she was 96 years old she was a woman that at least in my opinion demonstrated a lot of grace and faith throughout her life she had a front row seat to so much world history in the last century. And she really was a part of 
very fascinating British history, especially of the crown, and she came from a long family lineage and history of, of royalty and prestige. Amos is the exact opposite of that. Amos is described in verse 1 of this book as a very simple man who did not come from royalty. He did not come from prestige and wealth or from a crown. He was a simple shepherd. We find out later he was a tree trimmer from a small village named Tekoa, a man who most would consider among the unlikeliest to be called out as a prophet of Yahweh. Just jumping forward a little bit to chapter 7, here's a, another way Amos describes himself. Amos said to Amaziah, I was neither a prophet nor the son of a prophet. I was a shepherd. I also took care of sycamore fig trees. But the Lord took me from tending the flock, and he said to me, Go and prophesy to my people Israel. So it wasn't the pedigree of Amos that caused him to be called out as a prophet. It was a moment of opportunity when the call of the Lord came to him. And what did Amos do? He said yes. He found himself in a position where God called him to do something unexpected, something certainly that would have been uncomfortable, for which he felt unprepared. And yet when the moment came and the call of the Lord rang out, Amos said yes. Now Amos living in Tekoa, that, that little village outside of Jerusalem, is in Judah. But Amos is actually going to be sent not in Judah, but he's going to be sent up north. And the majority of his prophecy is going to be in the northern kingdom of Israel. We'll talk about this more next week. We'll sort of remind ourselves of the history of this period of Israel and its kings when the kingdom was divided between the south and the north. Amos is kind of like Jonah. He's not only a prophet, he's a missionary prophet. His calling is to, to go somewhere else, to, to take this, this message that God has given him to a place where he stands out, he's not comfortable, it's not his own people, and in that environment... As a missionary prophet, Amos is going to be given a message, a word from the Lord to call people back to repentance. Verse 2, again, the very first words that God speaks, the Lord roars from Zion. He thunders from Jerusalem. And the pastures of the shepherds, like Amos, will dry up. And the top of Mount Carmel up in the northern part of the kingdom will also wither and dry up. We've talked about before, the most common description of God's character in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, goes something like this. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. That's how the Hebrew scriptures especially most often describe God. And, and we take that language forward when we talk about Jesus. We, we use the image of a lamb. Jesus is the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It's such a beautiful image of Christ's sacrifice. And that description of God, his compassion, his love, his kindness, it's a reminder that, that even when we are wallowing in our sin, when we are called back in repentance, the Lord welcomes us with open arms. 
He wants us to be in a right relationship with us. He became the Lamb of God to give himself for our sins so that we can repent, so that we can be right with him. That is the beauty of the message of the gospel. But stay with me. In the book of Amos, God is not presented as the lamb. He's presented as the lion. He is the lion who is roaring in righteous anger against sin. And as you read through this book, we're, we're going to see that especially when it comes to his own people, God says, I have been very, very patient with you, but my patience has run its course. My righteous anger is burning within me now. And if you don't repent, if you don't turn away from your sins, if you don't stop treating your neighbors like they're not made in the image of God and exploiting them and being cruel to them, the, 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 the fire of my righteous anger is going to burn out and it is going to consume you. This book does not use a lot of that gentle, kind, and soft language because the Lord is roaring against the sins of his people. And as we see here in chapter 1, he's also roaring against the sins of the nations. This is a, a very unique book of prophecy where it begins not with calling out the covenant people of God, but first it begins with God judging the nations around Israel, as we'll see in just a moment. Before we turn there, though, I want to remind us again, the voice of God comes with unmistakable and unmatched power and authority. There are lots of people today who like to call themselves, li themselves lions. I don't know if you've noticed that. But when it comes to that term in Scripture, it's reserved for one and one alone, the Lord himself. The Lord himself roars like a lion. Jesus Christ is the Lion of Judah. And it's before him when everything is said and done that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Doesn't matter if you call yourself a lion. Doesn't matter if you think you're on top, you're powerful, you're strong, you're better than others. It doesn't matter if you're the queen or the poorest person on earth. When all is said and done, every person, every person will stand before the lion. And every knee will bow before him. Every tongue will make that confession that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And when God roars like a lion in the book of Amos, most often what he's roaring about is righteousness and justice. That's why we've called this series Let Justice Roll on Like a River. This is from Amos 5, sort of the central passage in the book. It's about righteousness. It's about justice. And God's standards of righteousness and justice are consistent. So that's your second point today. And again, these are big-time overarching points for the whole book. And I, I use this line here that God's standards of righteousness and justice are consistent because, again, the prophecy of the book doesn't begin going after the people of God, but it begins with judgment on the nations surrounding Israel. You knew as we talked about this that at some point a map was coming on the screen, right? You knew it was going to happen. This is sort of hard to see, but what I really want you to focus on are just the colors. As we walk through this in just a moment, all the different nations that 
that the Lord is calling out. They're, they're all direct neighbors of his covenant people. But interestingly, I'm going to say this a couple times so we don't miss it. Interestingly, what God's judging them for is not only the wrongs they've done to Israel. So we, might, we might be tempted to think that, that the reason they're going to be judged is because they've done wrong to God's covenant people. But no, God is also judging them for the wrongs they've done to each other and the wrongs they're doing to their own people inside their countries. Because again, God's standards for righteousness and justice are consistent. He's holding everyone to the same standard when it comes to the way they seek justice or don't seek justice for their neighbors. And so here, God begins with judgment of the nations. Now I have to imagine, for the Israelites in the northern kingdom who first heard this prophecy... When God was calling out the nations instead of calling them out, they were probably like, yes, right? We like this. We like it when God calls out our enemies. We like the thought of, of God condemning and judging the people we don't like and the people who are not like us. We, we love it when we think about the fact that God is going to, to bring down that swift hammer of his righteous anger on those people. But when it comes to our own sins and our own shortcomings, we are quick to ask for mercy and grace, right? We want judgment for them, mercy and grace for us. We want condemnation and, and justice for them. We want grace, compassion, mercy, and forgiveness for ourselves. It's interesting that we're beginning this series on 9-11. I was a, a much younger adult when 9-11 happened. And I know for me personally, and I think a lot of people in my gener generation would agree, we were fairly ignorant before that moment about what the global scene looks like. We, we were really raised in a time when, when things were pretty comfortable and secure. We didn't have to think much about what was going on outside because things here were pretty good. But that got our attention. As a young adult, that certainly got my attention, and I became much more aware of what life looks like outside of the place where I live. In the days of Amos, people were all too familiar with what was happening in the nations surrounding them. But again, their focus was often outward on asking God to judge them. What we'll see when we get later in this book is that the majority of Amos does not look outward. That's where it begins. But the majority of Amos does not look outward. It looks inward. As God says to his people, I expect better from you. As we look a little bit further in Amos 1, if you're not open there yet, go ahead and open your Bible to Amos 1. As I said, we're not going to read every verse because uh, the, the, there's, there's some things here we're not going to read out loud. But starting in verse 3, what Amos does as God speaks through him is he calls out six different nations by name. He either mentions the nation or he mentions the key cities in the nations. And then he lists out, like, I love the way one scholar said it, like an encyclopedia of every sin that could be committed. Amos lists out all the sins of these different nations and why it is that God is going to just to judge them. Why it is that they are going to face destruction. We're just going to read the first one, this judgment towards Syria. 
because it, it really sort of lays out some common themes that you'll see in the others. And, and the rest, you can sort of follow along, but we're not going to read them word for word. But here's what verses 3 through 5 say. This is what the Lord says. For three sins of Damascus, even for four, I will not relent. Because she threshed Gilead with sledges having iron teeth. I will send fire on the house of Hazael that will consume the fortresses of Ben-Hadad. I will break down the gate of Damascus. I will destroy the king who is in the valley of Aven and the one who holds the scepter in Beth-Eden. The people of Aram will go into exile to Kir, says the Lord. This is what chapter 1 looks like. A lot of names of cities, a lot of names of places, some descriptions of their sin, some descriptions of the injustice, and what's going to happen to them as God brings his justice and his judgment. If you're following along in verses 6 through 8, God turns the prophecy of Amos towards the Philistines, Philistia. Then in verses 9 and 10, he turns the, the prophecy, the judgment towards Phoenicia. Then in verses 11 and 12, the judgment is on Edom and the Edomites. Again, this, this map perhaps will be helpful if you can see it some. Then in, in verses 13 through 15, the judgment turns to Ammon. And then finally, moving into chapter 2, the judgment turns to the nation, the empire of the Moabites, of Moab. And God judges them for their blasphemous act. Just to give us a summary, and this is really important, so follow along as best you can. Again, it's sort of an encyclopedia of the sins that people commit. Here are some of the evil things that these nations had done. They had ravaged the land of others. They had taken captive entire communities. They had slave trades, and they sold whole communities as slaves. They broke treaties that were made in good faith. They brought unholy wars upon their neighbors. They killed women and children. They desecrated sacred places. They were driven by bloodthirsty, reckless ambition. The strong were oppressing the weak. And in many cases, there was just outright cruelty, one person to another. Again, the prophecy of Amos, as we begin here, is towards the nations, but it's not just about what they did wrong to Israel. Sometimes the areas of Israel, like Gilead, are mentioned, and we see that, yes, some of these nations did wrong to God's covenant people. But in other cases, God's calling them out just because they have sinned against humanity. His standards of righteousness and justice, they are consistent and he's calling people out almost as if there's this fundamental understanding that everyone should have that's given to us from our creator that there are just some things you don't do to your fellow man or woman. There are just some things you don't do to your neighbor. And even for those who don't have the law, who've not read the scripture, Romans 1 talks about this, that God has given us all some sense of what is right or wrong. That the, the conscience we have, it's actually a part of the image of God in us. And so as God is judging these nations, he's saying, 
Even if you want to claim you haven't read the scripture, I created you in such a way that you should know it's always wrong to enslave somebody. It's always wrong to murder, to just murder your neighbor out of cruelty. It is always wrong to unjustly take someone's land. It is always wrong for the strong to oppress the weak. Listen, for the strong to oppress the weak just because they can't defend themselves. And it is always wrong when we see injustice happening for us to turn a blind eye to it and to say, that's not my problem. It's hard. It's rough. But if you think chapter 1 is rough, wait till we get to the prophecy towards God's own covenant people who do have the law and do have the prophets. God's standards for righteousness and justice are consistent, and he says there are some things we should all know better than to do or to say they're okay or to look the other way. Now let me give us some hope for a moment. One of the things I love about this chapter in this book is, is those, those times when we feel like the injustice in the world, the evil in the world is so overwhelming that it almost feels like God is just distant from it and he doesn't see and he doesn't care. The book of Amos reminds us over and over again that God does see it, that God does care about it, that he sets himself against the oppressor, he sets himself against evil, he sets himself against those who exploit the vulnerable, and he stands with those who are the oppressed and who are the vulnerable. I know it's hard sometimes for us to see it because we hear about stories or maybe even we experience some things ourselves. And we say, God, if you really have these standards for righteousness and justice, then why do you even allow those things to happen in the first place? I struggle with that. I'm sure you do too. Someday I believe with all of my heart, God will help us understand. I don't have all the, the best answers there, but I see consistently, not only in Amos, but in Scripture, that God sets himself against those who do evil and deprive others of justice, and he stands with those who suffer, who are vulnerable, who are oppressed, who are exploited. And that language is consistent. Not only is that consistent from God's perspective, but Amos is also a reminder that God expects us, as his covenant people, to have eyes to see to have ears to hear, to not turn our, our face and our hearts away from those who are suffering and away from that which is wrong, and to not fall into the traps that many do to justify it or deflect blame or responsibility where we need to take it. But God expects us as his covenant people to look like him, to display his character, and to care and to see and to set ourselves against evil while we stand with and love and serve those who are oppressed. There was a time in my life where it was easy for me to pretend like poverty and injustice and evil didn't exist because I, I just didn't have to see it. But God thrust me into some situations where I had no choice, I couldn't look away I had to see, and after I saw, I could not unsee. Some of you have probably had that experience as well. We can't hide evil. We can try. Go, go, go to the area of Tulsa near Admiral and the IDL. You can see how in our own city we have really tried to sort of hide some of the worst poverty that we have, but 
We can't hide it from God. We can't expect Him to unsee. Nor can we unsee. We can't erase it. We can't try to go back and rewrite it. It's hard to deal with these things that we see and sometimes we don't want to see. It's easy to justify or to blame others. But Amos is a reminder that God has this part of his character that sets himself against evil, that stands with those who are oppressed. He expects his people to do so. And what the rest of this chapter describes in the beginning of chapter 2 for these nations surrounding Israel is the judgment that is coming. And the judgment that is coming is going to be swift and it's going to be severe. City gates are going to fall. Walls and palaces and fortresses are going to be burned to the ground. Kings will be removed from their thrones. Many people will die. And others will be sent out into exile, some to faraway places. And entire empires are going to fall, all on account of idolatry and sin and injustice. Because God's standards of righteousness and justice are consistent. And he presents that to us, not only in the book of Amos, but throughout Scripture, both the Old and the New Testament. God has created one world. He is one God and there is no other. And he has one set of standards that he's presented to us. And though sometimes it might be hard for us to navigate those things as we interpret and try to understand, put them into practice, there are a few things that consistently God has made clear. And at the heart of them are what Jesus called the two great commandments. All the, the, the law and the prophets hang on two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your... As the language in... Any more than they listen to Hosea or Isaiah. Or the prophet... And destruction indeed came their way. As we said, the... It doesn't look outward. It looks inward to the hearts... And as I close this morning, I want to just make this statement. I've sort of already said it as clear as possible. The one true God is the God who and nothing escapes His There is nothing that is there is nothing that the light will not expose. There is nothing that God does not see, including the depths of our hearts. Today, as we begin this series and as we move to our time of invitation, I want to call you to the lion who roars against sin, who sees everything and nothing is hidden from his view. The lion, though, who is also the lamb. The lamb of God who roared against sin but also gave himself as a sacrifice for sin. So that even though we were dead in our trespasses and sins, we can be made alive in Christ through repentance and forgiveness. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that God still roars against sin? But do you also believe that God loves us enough to provide a path of, to forgiveness through the person of Jesus Christ?
If you've not experienced that forgiveness, if you're not living in it, if you're not walking on that path of righteousness and justice this morning, I call us all to that hard work of introspection, asking God to search our hearts, and when what he sees is what we see, then might we take the next step of obedience to walk with him. Lord, I thank you today for the many things we've had to celebrate as a time of worship. I thank you for the clarity of this book of Amos as we begin it, but also, Lord, there is a heaviness to it. And Lord, I pray that you would use this language and you would use these words both today, but also as we go forward to draw the eyes of our heart to you and to move our hands and to move our feet in obedience, in righteousness and justice, to display your character, your love, to walk with you as disciples. And I pray, Lord, for every heart today that they would be drawn to you. In Jesus' name, amen.